This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning and happy Valentine's Day. I am Chuang, joined by Joyce Ko and Charis Abdullah. Now, um, in about half an hour, I talked to a lady named Angie Stevens. She's the Asia-Pacific Managing Director for a cruise operator named, for, uh, named Royal Caribbean. Now, uh, taking a cruise is... Uh, a very romantic and very age-old notion for moneyed passengers. Of course, uh, we saw the Titanic with Leo DiCaprio, he of Wolf of Wall Street fame. Well, uh, the cruise line operators are here in a big way in Asia. And of course, we know that uh, some 30 million are expected to take a cruise in 2019, Some most of which are in Asia. We will be asking her how uh, it is to compete against all the other operators and what it's like to take people away from their airplanes and their cars and their road trips into massive cruise line ships. So, okay, uh, very much in the same vein as the tourism theme that I've just discussed, uh, it's no secret that China has been courting diplomacy and relations with many countries in ASEAN and Asia, where she uh, is the biggest country and the biggest player. But uh, relations with Australia and New Zealand are not very good. It's been chilling recently, and um, both Australia and New Zealand are managing heightened tensions with China over the geopolitical ambitions. Earlier this week, uh, China postponed a major China-New Zealand tourism campaign just days before its launch and just followed hot on the heels of an Air New Zealand flight that en route to Shanghai was forced to turn back to Auckland. Now, that's uh, obviously not going to do well for what is soon to be the world's largest economy. Yeah, so uh, New Zealand, uh, previously, they've enjoyed warm ties with China and, uh, you know, of late has been receiving the cold shoulder. Now, as you mentioned, uh, China has postponed a major China New Zealand uh, China New Zealand tourism campaign just days before its launch. Now it was followed. Uh after the Air New Zealand flight uh, kerfuffle. Yeah, over in Australia, relations with China soured back in 2017 when the then uh, Malcolm Turnbull government introduced new laws to limit foreign influence in Australia and recently Chinese billionaire property developer Huang Xiaomao was denied residency rights. So to help us understand the geopolitical power plays going on, we have on the line Richard McGregor. He's a senior fellow at the Lao Institute, Lowy Institute in Sydney. Now, um, Richard, welcome to BFM and thank you for taking this call. How would you characterize the relationship between the ANZs and Chinese and the China Chinese right now? What's going on there? Well, the the Chinese cold store is getting a little bit crowded. Um, uh, Australia was put in there a couple of years ago, as you said, but we're sort of coming out to thaw at the moment, and uh, we've had a reset with China a few months ago. But our place has been taken by New Zealand, as you made clear in your introduction. Um, the New Zealanders used to sort of look at Australia's deteriorating relations with ship with China and say, well, thank God that's not happening to us. But I'm afraid it is now um, uh, over a number of issues. Huawei uh, is probably the big one, uh, but also New Zealand complaints about the South China Sea and the Pacific. Uh, so it's, the, it's their turn to, to get the cold shoulder. Yeah, uh, how do you how do the government of Australia and New Zealand view China? Uh, does this differ from the public sentiment? Well, that's a good question. I mean, the first thing I would say is it's not just Australia and New Zealand. Uh, a lot of countries are struggling with their relationships with China. The US, the biggest of all, uh, Canada, uh, Malaysia, of course, has had its own complaints about the Belt and Road and various cancelled projects once Mr. Mahathir came back into power. Germany, there's a massive debate going on in China. Singapore has had its problems. So it's not just Australia and New Zealand. The, the question you ask, though, about public sentiment versus sort of government sentiment 
is an interesting one. I think the public has probably a generally more favourable view of China than the governments do, uh, because China is such an economic um, opportunity. Um, so that that's certainly one to watch, where the public sentiment sours as well. Richard, who, who has the upper hand in this power struggle here? I mean, can China afford another fight, though, especially with its ongoing trade war with the US? Well, that's a very good question as well, I think, because most people tend to reflexively think that Australia and New Zealand are small countries and they shouldn't put their head up and have a fight with China, which is a big country. And I think the Chinese encourage that view. They sort of encourage the view that you should just sort of behave and everything will be all right. But I think one reason why Australians, Australia's relations with China stabilised is precisely the reason you mentioned, because the China is having a big-time fight with the US. It does not want to be fighting with other, every other country around the world. And so it's been willing to, to reset uh, the relationship with Australia. Uh, that might happen again with New Zealand. But I think the bigger lesson is that it isn't going to go back to the good old days for either country. You know, we're just going to have relations with China, I think, that have to accommodate tensions because that's simply the way of the world. Well, Richard, uh, from the perspective of the folks down under, like yourself, uh, can Australia really afford to pick a fight with China, especially with the amount of trade uh, flows that come more in your direction than the other direction? Well, the, that would think, you would think that was the dumbest thing in the world for Australia to pick a fight with China uh, because we trade so much with China and we have so much a trade, of a trade surplus with China. Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, that people say, oh, Australia, you're so dependent on China. I would say we're interdependent. You know, China doesn't buy things from Australia to do us a favour. Uh, their companies buy things from Australia because, you know, they get what they want at the cheapest price possible. If they could get it elsewhere, a better deal, they'd do it tomorrow. Now, that applies to Malaysia, it applies to New Zealand, it applies to the US. Um, so I, I don't want to encourage that type of thinking because if we think we're reliant on China, then all we, you know, then all you do is basically do what they tell you to do. And I think any country... Uh, has the right to stand up what it thinks is in its own national interest. Uh, of course, there may be, and this is the big question, an economic penalty to pay. That hasn't, there hasn't been so far, but um, when that happens, uh, let's see uh, how strong our governments are then. All right, Richard. Thank you so much for your honesty and your insights. That was Richard McGregor, the Senior Fellow at the Louis Institute of Sydney, Australia. Now, uh, what is clear, obviously, gentlemen and ladies, is the fact that both, uh, in fact, all three countries are at play in terms of the uh, odd, um, disparate points of view about whether they should, um, you know, be, be really fast friends or otherwise. I think that the centre of it all is really this Huawei technologies, this whole issue about 5G and this whole issue about privacy and security concerns. Uh, not without a substance, I might add, even Tun Daim Zainuddin in Malaysia discussing uh, and even being very public about his concerns about 5G and about how really it can be very, very intrusive in terms of our personal data. Um, but uh, be that as it may, Huawei is trying to curry favour in New Zealand. They've been taking out full-page ads in the newspapers saying that a ban on Huawei is like a rugby tournament without the All Blacks. Now that sound that seems a bit um, cheesy if you ask me, but I'm not sure how well that's been taken in, in you know New Zealand. Yeah, as, as mentioned uh, by, by Richard earlier, now um, 
the public public has a different sentiment in some ways. I mean, there's a lot of economic opportunities in in Huawei, and again, it's uh, it's the awareness. Perhaps it's the one of it is being awareness with regards to privacy. I mean, government views uh, view it differently in comparison to the public. Did you spend any time in New Zealand, Charles? I mean, what was the sentiment? Because I, I mean, when I was in Australia some years ago, um, the, the Chinese influence wasn't as strong as it is now. Yeah. Um, do, do, do you agree with Richard McGregor in, in the sense that the public are more conducive and more lenient towards the Chinese rather than governmental uh, opinions about the Chinese? Uh, yeah, well, perhaps uh, the landscape has changed. I mean, there's definitely um, the Chinese, for example, Chinese community has, has gone up uh, in, in, in these two countries and government are responding. I think government do react in, in in that way, I mean, looking at the landscape and uh, the the possible ties and economy, so I think there there's definitely basis of what uh, Richard was saying earlier. Okay, well, uh, closer to home, of course, uh, we've got the Thai elections coming up. Of course, um, the whole issue now is about the uh, current king's sister. Now, she, I think, she relinquished the titles and she moved to the U.S. way back when, when she married her husband. She since the divorce, the sisters come back. And I'm talking, of course, about Princess Ubal Ratana. Now, Princess Ubal is now uh, running for the Thaksin Shinamatra party. That's caused a lot of dissension within the Thai people about whether their loyalties rise, uh, rest with um, uh, the existing king or uh, King Vajirala Longkon or his sister, uh, who is running against him in the coming elections, all coming to a head, really. Mm, well, the Election Commission has recommended for the Thai Raksa Chart Party to be dissolved by the Constitutional Court, preventing it, preventing it from running an election for violating the rules of a constitutional monarchy. And, you know, the Constitutional Court is expected to approve the Election Commission's request. Yeah, so um, earlier this week, the Election Commission had ruled to disqualify Uburat uh, as the Prime Minister candidate for the Thai Raksa Chart Party in the upcoming election. And uh, Princess Ben did not come into surprise after the strong condemnation of her candidacy by her brother, the king. Uh, Malaysia's uh, Bank Negara will announce fourth quarter GDP and I think, full, of course, full year GDP. Um, we understand that the Deputy Minister of International Trade, Dr. Ong Kian Ming, has mentioned that they, he thinks the country is capable of achieving GDP growth of between 4.8% and 4.9% for the full year of 2018, really on the back of stronger economic figures recently, adding that the manufacturing sector probably will continue to drive the country's growth going forward. Yeah, so um, Standard Chartered also uh, gave their their opinion, uh, and they are optimistic towards the GDP growth uh, figure for uh, figure for 2019. Now, projecting the fourth quarter GDP to be up by 4.4 percent, and the 2018 GDP growth may come in at 4.6 year on year, lower than 5.9 in 2017. Well, when asked about the dip in business sentiment index in uh, December 2018, which was announced by the Malaysian Institute of Economic Research, uh, Ken Ming stated that he thinks the the index is based on surveys and that surveys may not be entirely reflective of the numbers, although it is still a concern for the ministry. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.